and not only do I want to hold myself to that standard, but I give you permission to raise that observation to me if it appears that I'm not honoring those values. So by having those kinds of conversations and setting those expectations, not only of others, but of giving them the permission to hold those expectations of you and to challenge around it, is going to truly help create an open, uh, trusting culture that says it, it really is okay. Mm. And be cautious, because the first time somebody ever does demonstrate the courage to challenge you, if you chomp on them, mm -hmm. that's the last time they ever will. Anybody ever will. This episode is brought to you by C.K. Lynn Mindset Coaching for Leaders, Entrepreneurs, and High Achievers. Having a clear mind will empower you to tap into your true potential and achieve extraordinary results with more ease and freedom. Visit www.talkwithck.com and apply for a free clarity session today. I'm really excited today to have my friend Jim Donahue with us. He's a retired wing commander of the Canadian Air Force. He is a executive coach for entrepreneurs, for founders, for CEOs. And why I invited him to be on the show is you exude leadership, you exude wisdom. And uh, I'd love to just engage in that conversation a little bit more about what it takes to be a inspired leader. For those of you listening who are also entrepreneurs, I think you can learn a lot from how Jim approach managing people, leading people, and meeting people where they're at with compassion, with wisdom. So thanks so much for being on the show, Jim. It's just a pleasure to be here, thank you. So if you don't mind, Take us back a little bit about your own uh, or origin story, how you embark on this journey of uh, the noble warrior path. Um, so, <clears throat> I mean, the little boy that grew up about in the southeastern Ontario uh, community in Canada. Um, you know, perhaps like many, you know, grew up dreaming the aspiration of flight, the aspiration of uh, excitement about freedom and an opportunity to really test myself as I grew and uh, yeah, grew up in a Catholic family and joked often about, you know, for those who would know that story of, you know, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot just like Pontius Pilate who, uh, you know, I didn't even understand the, the significance of the term uh, or probably the ramifications of that particular story. But, I, you know, I just grew up with a love of flight and a love of adventure. Um, How old were you at the time? Oh, I'm in, you know, my early, <clears throat> my early years, probably, you know, sub-10 kind of thing. Um, I was not a particularly athletic kid uh, in my early years. Um, went through high school in my community and then, you know, eventually had a friend who I had seen go off to one of the military colleges similar to those which they would have in the U.S. and it, it spoke to me. I mean, as I entered high school, I had, you know, started to play some sports, started to discover my own abilities, my own strength, and uh, it was a pretty modest family and so, you know, going to one of the military colleges was an opportunity for me to get a a very, very sound, very good undergraduate degree 
uh, you know, and uh, I mean, the economics were part of it initially because, again, you know, it was pretty modest beginnings. And so, you know, joining the military, going to one of the military colleges was just part of the adventure. It was an opportunity to begin to learn about myself, to, uh, you know, to step into that realm, uh, to go away, <coughs> if you will, and in search of freedom. And uh, so this desire for freedom drove you. Yeah, I, you know, it was, I, I don't even know that I would have called it freedom at the time as so much as it was adventure. Mm. Um, and so I joined the military uh, at the age of 17, right out of high school, started my undergraduate degree and, and did did the four-year undergraduate degree in business and computer science. And uh, and then, you know, shortly after that, went straight into the, into flight training. Um, <clears throat> I was very fortunate through the military college program where in the summers, you know, after the academic phases, I went on a, an OJT and on job training experiences with uh, different types of squadrons, flying squadrons. And, you know, on two of those occasions, I had the opportunity to do summer exchanges with, with fighter squadrons, with single seat fighters. And it just awoken in me an aspiration to to fly single-seat fighters, and there was there was a lot of reasons for that. I mean, partly, partly because, uh, like a lot of you know high-performance single sports, there's tremendous opportunity to um, to test your own physical limits alone in the aircraft. To, mm. to, you have to be good to be to be second best in that environment is simply not good enough. Mm. And you know, as a type of person that I don't I don't thrive on ego I I'm not big on those who have egos um, I say a lot of times when I got into that environment I would I would strap on the jet rather than getting strapped into the jet and as I got strapped you know as the jet got strapped onto me that's when the, mm. e the ego had to surface and I loved I loved the opportunity to to really dig in and perform at the very highest levels while I was in the airplane. And then at the same time, I loved undoing the straps and getting out of the aircraft and then to a certain degree shedding that skin, if you will, in mm. terms of shedding a skin that meant that, you know, I had to, I had to beat other people. Mm. I think even at that time, I was, you know, probably learning about the ranges of performance in terms of saying, well, you know, I, I don't have to be that way every moment but I need to know that I can be that way in order to excel in that environment when, mm. when it calls upon me. Um, you know, the military college again was a, a wonderful experience of self-discovery for me because I, uh, <clears throat> a pretty modest little kid, I'd never, never worked too hard at academics. They, they seemed to happen and it was sort of a necessary evil in terms of growing up, so to speak. But, you know, right from the early days, I had the opportunity to, to begin learning the art of leadership, you know, not only of self, but of others. Um, <clears throat> and so... How would you define leadership in this case? Um, so, I mean, I think, I mean, leadership in my model of the world is, is, is not about a command and control model. Uh, I mean, clearly when you're in, you know, operations that are demanding in nature, there may not be a lot of time for discourse and debate with mm. the people that you're you're working with, uh, 
that said, you know, in advance of going into those operations, it is, it's absolutely about the team. It's absolutely about finding a way to, you know, to, to learn of the strengths of others and to make sure that you incorporate those strengths into everything that you're doing because uh, <clears throat> no leader can know it all. No leader can, you know, just embark upon a course of action without the wise counsel of others. Mm. And that doesn't mean that you're abrogating your responsibilities. It means that you're, you're harnessing that knowledge and you're harnessing uh, the skills and the abilities of everybody that you have surrounded yourself with mm. and that you're going to get the job done. Well, let me ask you this, because in the, I mean, I'm not in the military, but regular people pretty much assume that in the military, it's about rank and file. You follow the order to the T, to the best of ability. So it actually, in my mind, doesn't quite incorporate that collaborative way of doing things. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think... And, and by the way, and is, is that a common way of thinking? Collaborative rather than rank and fire, just do what I say, don't question it. Yeah, so I think, again, you know, as I said, when you're in the actual operation, there's, there's not a lot, of, a lot of time for debate. I mean, you're, you are going to give orders, there's no two ways about it, mm. but it's, it's the lead up to that moment when you actually enter the operation where it's incumbent upon you as a leader to make sure that you've, you've harnessed that knowledge, that you've harnessed all of the, the, the critical questioning around the nature of the operation to make sure that you've truly, uh, you know, you've attacked your own operation in terms of how you're going to execute it in order to make sure that you've done your very best to consider all of the, <clears throat> all of the factors that can come into play, all of you know, the strengths and the weaknesses of the enemy that you've, uh, you've thought it through and that you're absolutely ready to execute in the moment and that you're present. I think the Air Force is a bit of a different beast. I mean, the, you know, the Army uh, is very different in that, you know, the officer corps is much fewer, obviously, in number than the rank and file, as you referred to. And, you know, in the Army, you, you send the soldiers to war. I mean, the, the officers clearly go with them. But, you know, in the Air Force, uh, certainly in the Canadian Air Force, it's very different, and especially in the single-seat fighter environment where, you know, the, the airmen and the airwomen are... You know, they're maintaining the aircraft, they're getting everything ready, they're an absolutely integral part of the team. Mm. But then it's the officers that strap on the airplanes and, and go to war or, or go into operations and combat. So, I mean, the mentality can be very different. The, the essence of team is absolutely critical, not only with your men and women that are going to get in the aircraft ready and making sure that they're 100% ready to go, but the, the essence of teamwork with those with whom you you go into combat with mm. your the trust the levels of trust that you must have for one another in terms of your ability to execute means that there's there's no tolerance for for people that are not 100 percent committed to executing the job mm. how would you define in this case high performance what's what's a high performing officer versus a low performing officer just so that people have an understanding or context of what you're referring to? Well, so low performing, we didn't have a lot of tolerance for. We, to be frank, we didn't keep them around because again, in that environment, it's so intense. It's so rapid in nature in terms of how it, how it unfolds that there's not a lot of tolerance for people that are low performance. So low performance would be 
those who perhaps know, don't know their aircraft as well as they should know. They don't know the operating parameters for the weapon systems. They don't understand or, or live the same degree of commitment to one another and to the achievement of mission mm. that, uh, that is necessary in order to know that you are my brother. We're going into this situation together mm. and uh, I need to be able to count on you as you must be able to count on me. So what I hear in this is there's a certain level of knowledge base of the aircraft, of the operation, and uh, knows a particular aircraft and the ins and outs, as well as providing that support for you to fulfill the, um, the mission. Yes. I mean, there's a tremendous building block process as you, you know, I mean, you don't just take a brand new ab initio pilot and stick them into, into that, those sort of demanding situations. I mean, it probably takes five or six years. I mean, it's, you know, for, it's, it's at least masters, if not PhD level for people even to get to the point of being a, a wingman, you know, a follower, if you will, in, in that environment. So there's the training, the preparation, the knowledge, the, the leadership on an individual basis, the quality of teamship, the, you know, again, the, the commitment, the fraternity, because you, you work darn hard, but you also play pretty hard and live together and you know each other in and out and what to expect of one another in the most arduous of circumstances. Mm. So, knowing what you know now, would you recommend, let's say, your kids, your friends to, or your friends' kids to go into military college? Like, what are some of the pros and cons of going through that experience? So for me, you know, it was, uh, so the first answer is yes. Uh, okay. W without hesitation. Without hesitation. Without hesitation, mm -hmm. I say yes. And, you know, I mean, Canada is a very peace-loving country. It's not a, you know, the general populace does not understand the military formation, the military training. Um, and so, you know, I think the, you know, for the average kid, so to speak, of which, you know, which I was, you know, going into that, into that environment, you have a wonderful opportunity to begin to learn your own limits, you know, as you're, it's not only an academic sort of training system, but, you know, regardless of degree program, there's, there's a lot of training around the art of leadership, around organizational behavior, around you know, histories and traditions and heritage and, uh, you know, the, the values of the college that I went to were truth, duty, and valor. And so, you know, right from those early days, you know, in my, in my teens, you know, sort of early adulthood, I'm, you know, absolutely learning the meaning of those sorts of abstract terms. What, I mean, what does truth, duty, and valor mean, you know, and what does, what does duty mean? And I think as a, what does it mean for you? So as a leader, for me, I mean, duty is in the tremendous weight of responsibility, the duty of care for the men and women, you know, that you're working with, and especially the, the men and women that you're, that you're leading. You know, I, and I'm choosing terms, you know, in deference to the audience, thinking, you know, I mean, and it, it's easy to talk about command, you know, which is what it is in the military, but it's, it's, it's really about leading and in the Air Force, as I said earlier, that it's rare that you actually ever say, I, you know, I order you, I command you to do this. There's a, there's an interaction, there's a trust, there's a, you know, there's an understanding that... So even in the language, you don't, you don't use those terms. I command you, I order you. Never. The, no. 
No, I mean, uh, you know, when you have, you'll sit down and say, you'll, you'll have sessions where it's, here's our, here's the orders that we've received, here's the mission that's been assigned, here's what we're going to accomplish, and you lay out the protocols and, and uh, you, you do your darnest to execute. But, you know, that, that duty of care, I think, is something that, that I learned early where, you know, unlike, unlike the corporate world where, um, you know, you have a responsibility for the men and women who work for you, you know, as a leader, you know, pretty much from nine to five and then they go home and they have their own lives and you know nothing of that for the most part. Uh, you know, in the military, you have a duty of care, which is 24 hours a day. And it's not only for the men and women in uniform, it's for their families. It's ensuring their well-being. It's ensuring, you know, if I'm taking someone's mother or someone's father overseas or, you know, into an operation on a far off land that I... I need to know that the family is going to be well cared for while we're away. And only, you know, people can only operate, you know, at 100% when they know their loved ones are well cared for at home and, and that they're going to be looked after. And so, you know, when, when people have any kind of you know, social issues or whatever, I mean, you're, it's incumbent upon you as a leader to make sure that they're they're okay. We're not going to shed them. We're not going to. We're not going to fire them. We're not going to dispose of them. We're we're caring deeply for them and developing them and carrying them forward. Mm. And again, not carrying them if they're a piece of baggage. Carrying them if there's a true and honest commitment to them from them to you know to conduct the mission and they clearly have the potential to to grow and to move forward. Mm. Hey, listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the nuggets of wisdoms go to bit.ly forward slash noble warrior review and leave us a five-star review and tell us what you're getting out of this podcast this will really help us attract other people like you and share these nuggets of wisdoms to others just like you okay do that right now bit.ly forward slash noble warrior review thanks a lot use the word expendable at some point um I didn't, and I you never didn't. would. Oh, you never would. Okay, good. But I'm happy to, you know, I'm happy to address that too. Because yeah, address I, you know, that, please. I, and, and let me actually underline that question a little bit, because for young entrepreneurs, let's just, let's say, the mindset may be, let me, you know, I'm gonna have a um, arrangement with my employees. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna provide benefits and all that good stuff, and, and an opportunity for work. But beyond that. That's that. And so I'm going to swap people in and out based on the mission of the Mm -hmm. company. So, and I always kind of, I understand why they want to think that way. But at the same time, as inspire leaders, as value inspire leaders, I would imagine the mindset would be more holistic. Let me make sure that you are on purpose and let me make sure that you and your family are well taken care of. It's not just the job, it's the whole person. Mm -hmm. So... So talk a little bit about this mindset of expandable being uh, or, or in um, integrated way of leading people, if you don't mind. <clears throat> so, I mean, I would never use the term expandable in the military context, you know, mm-hmm. and as a leader, I think, I mean, undoubtedly there are people are going to get hurt. People will sadly, very sadly will be lost. You know, uh, I... In my experience, I've never known a military commander who would plan an operation sort of thinking about throwaway people or throwaway units or, you know, that they are expendable. I mean, you do 
you should do. Your duty is to do everything in your power to make sure that you have done your 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 utmost to ensure that you minimize any casualties, any losses. And you know the the terrible sadness that I carry in my heart is knowing that that people were lost. You know, despite that duty of care and the tremendous responsibility that you carry, uh, and when people sometimes don't come home, there is a just a terrible weight of loss that that I carry for a lifetime. Mm. And you know, when I think about that in in the, in the corporate context, I, you know, I in the lead, leading then, you know, I. So I did 28 years in the military and then I did make a transition into the corporate sector. And so I can understand the comment that you offered with respect to, you know, there's people who come and go a little bit as mm -hmm. you build your company and there mm -hmm. will be skill sets that you require and mm -hmm. you may then find that there's no longer a, a need for that. Mm -hmm. And the way that you will foster trust as you grow your organization is by very, very overtly demonstrating that those people have been treated fairly. That if they gave their all, they gave everything to the corporation, you reach a point where, you know, and I'm not talking about a performance-based issue at the moment, I'm just talking about the needs of the corporation or the needs of the organization. If, you know, if you reach a point where that particular skill set is, is no longer integral to the success of the corporation, the manner in which you say farewell, the manner in mm. which you release, the mm. manner in which you, uh, you know, brackets dispose mm -hmm. on brackets mm -hmm. of that individual will set a tone in your organization for the culture of your organization mm -hmm. that will be absolutely instrumental to its ongoing success yeah i really appreciate how you answered that question because you know from my personal experience of working with fast-growing startups you, they go through different phases yeah right and part of the burden of being a leader in those organizations is that in the beginning, the first 20 people, they may not be able to help the organization at its current state. Mm -hmm. And then there's a grappling between loyalty versus the need, the mission of the company. And I know that for a lot of entrepreneurs, founders listening to this, this is something that they grapple with. Yes. And a lot of times, you know, you hear um, internet, you know, advising, uh, hiring slow, firing fast, but how do you actually do it with compassion? As you know, how people leave actually sets the tone of the organization, the culture, and everything. Because if there is a, a even an idea, even like an inkling of a like, oh, I better perform or pretend that I can actually fulfill this um, mission, the psychological safety it just isn't there. And then, and then it's a trickling down effect of then everyone's pretending that they got everything handled and you don't get real about the mission of the company, where you're at and you know, your family circumstances and so forth. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, so I, I mean, I really think it's just a question of honesty and openness, you know? And so um, if you have a culture that is open and honest, so people have a clear understanding of the expectations and what's required, then they will honor that if they know that you know that, that that this handshake may come at a certain time but i'm going to be very fairly treated in terms of you know moving on to my next employment whatever that might be then they're able to give their all if you know if i think the real message here is to do your best to avoid surprises 
mm-hmm. and you know I mean when we executed operations the the expectation of challenge in the military at least in the Canadian Air Force was very high when you know, as a leader uh, again I have to be able to execute my tasks at least as well as everyone that I surround myself with and the interesting part is that not only you know as a fighter pilot and as a wing commander I mean, I would sometimes fly with, you know, some of the formations and not in the lead role. And so, you know, in that instance, as a wingman, my rank is irrelevant. I'm, I'm expected to perform the task of that wingman to the very best capability of a wingman. I have to trust and honor my lead in that moment. And, uh, and when we land, then there'll be a very thorough debrief and there'll be an opportunity to, you know, to, to question one another, to learn from one another. The after action review processes are, very, very disciplined in terms of the way it, it unfolds. And in that way, when I say disciplined, I mean there's a protocol that we follow. Uh, the beauty of the way those things are executed is that there is no rank in that room. You know, so as the wing commander, if I was a wingman and I made a couple of buffooneries, then I'm Buffoonery. I'm going to, you know, and the beauty of it normally, unless I didn't even realize that I had screwed up, was that you fess up first. Mm. And so there's you know, there's just complete commitment to the safety and execution of the mission mm. from one another. And so, uh, and as the leader, if I've screwed up, then I expect, and someone noticed it, it's not, they're not ratting me out. They're, they're identifying it in a way that is intended to ensure that we learn from it, we grow from it, and we execute better on the next round, because that's really what it's all about, mm. is executing. And if you can create a culture where you park your egos at the door, and that includes the CEO. And I think that's often a challenge in a lot of the fast growing entrepreneurships as well is, you know, the CEO needs to take a hard look in the mirror and understand that he or she could very rapidly become the limiting factor in the growth of the company as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so how do you, as that CEO, hold yourself open and receptive to uh, honest, well-intentioned feedback in order to make sure that that things are growing and progressing the way they should Mm. it's easier to say though it is it's not so easy to execute per se because we hear people in companies in organizations saying that let's work in a egoless environment let's set our ego aside or similar languaging right and what i hear in the illustration the example that you share is clarity of mission clarity of standards and be the first to fess up where you as a leader may not have actually met the, your own standards or your your collective standards is that is that a good recap of what you said yes yeah and there's got to be an environment where you know i mean you have to know that hey look if if i fess up i'm not going to get i'm not going to get slammed i'm not going to get spanked for the sake of attributing blame i'm i'm fessing up because you know there was something that unfolded which was perhaps Maybe the the plan wasn't as sound as it should have been, or maybe the briefing wasn't as strong as it should have been, and there were some unknowns that were unaddressed. And so in that moment, when I was faced with that circumstance, I made a decision. And, uh, you know, in that environment, there's not a lot of time to, you know, to go seeking counsel. You need to make a decision and, and, and react in the moment to the best mm-hmm. of your capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so when you come back into that debrief then, and you're having that quality of conversation that uh, you know to the best of your capabilities is egoless then you're not looking for blame you're looking for the lessons 
you know, so as the CEO, you know, where was my plan week? Uh, was there a training issue that, you know, that, again, if I'm trusting your capabilities and your knowledge and that in that moment, you made the very best decision you knew how to make with the skills and tools and capabilities that I gave to you, then, then I really have no reason to fault you. Mm. If as the CEO, I shorted you by, you know, by not ensuring you were well-trained or not ensuring that the equipment was everything that it should be, or that in fact I failed you because I didn't brief the, uh, all of the potential eventualities, then I need to look in the mirror. Mm. Uh, you know, if you as an individual, you know, routinely make erroneous decisions, I mean, now we're talking about a different circumstance, mm. but as a leader, you know, throughout corporate life, as well as, you know, my full career in the military, when I didn't get what I wanted or what I, has, you know, hoped to achieve as far as the mission was concerned, I mean, the first place I looked was in the mirror. So let's let's break that down into something that's tactical, if you don't mind. Because <clears throat> I mean, we can talk about principles, but for the listeners, I want them to actually have something that they can actually take on. So what what um, disciplines, tactics that they can actually operationalize into their life to cultivate their own self awareness, their their own ability, their own courage to fess up mm -hmm. to the organization. If you don't mind, actually walk us down. So, you know, I mean, in our instances, it's right from day one, I'd say it was in my DNA mm -hmm. because that discipline is, has been there probably since the earliest days of military operations. So, you know, I think as you're growing your company, it's, it's a matter of taking a hard look in the mirror first. You know, where, where are you going? Uh, the, and if, how strong is the plan? How well executed is the plan? I mean, oftentimes young entrepreneurs are extremely talented, you know, and especially in the technical environment where, you know, they may not have the organizational skills or the leadership skills beyond their truly expert knowledge in, you know, in the technical aspects of the business that they're creating. And so, you know, it, I think it's hugely incumbent upon a young entrepreneur to take a hard look in the mirror and and perform a self-assessment whether you want to do a you know a, a personal SWOT or whatever the case might be but SWOT you know strength weaknesses opportunities and threats right. and so you know examine your own abilities like what am I really good at and what am I not good at and sometimes you know the the challenges that I you know you can have some blank spots where I, I don't even know what I'm not good at and and so that's you know I'm not pumping coaches but that's where you know, senior advisors or people outside the business, perhaps, you know, surround yourself with people in, in the business environment that, you know, that to a certain extent have been there, done that. They can offer you some lessons and some knowledge around some of the pitfalls. And, you know, you're not, again, you're not giving up your authority or your accountability, but you're seeking that sage advice that's going to allow you to, you know, to be aware of the circumstances that you may face that you could not have anticipated because you've never been there, done that. And so, you know, and that's what I talked about earlier in terms of even building your team. You know, one of my earliest examples of that would be even at the military college in my second year of school, I was, you know, chosen to lead a, what we call a, you know, the equivalent of a military tattoo, which is a, you know, we took the whole student body and it was a large sort of 
marching and gymnastics and you know rappelling and you know like a, a real demonstration of all of the military skills and capabilities and I'm looking at this kind of going I don't know a lot about all this stuff and so I, I mean mindfully created a team and surrounded myself with people that you know they had skills that were different yet complementary to my own and again you know surround yourself with those kinds of people do not hesitate to ask for help you know be, you know, be circumspect in examining your own abilities and your own knowledge and saying, okay, like I know this technology like from A to Z and I know it's this good and it can do all of these things. And yet, you know, you may not know how to generate the funding. You may not know how to hire people. You may not know how to attract or hold or retain, you know, the, because you're a good technician which is really what it amounts to, doesn't necessarily make you a good leader. And so how do you begin to have conversations around leadership? How do you, how do you come out of your shell? Because again, uh, my experience would say, you know, working in industry largely with the oil and gas industry after leaving the military, tremendously competent people, you know, in the engineering, in financial disciplines, and I mean tremendously competent, and yet uh, equally introverted, equally uh, you know, at the other end of that spectrum, equally, you know, unexperienced when it comes to the art of leadership. And so, you know, it's it's pretty hard to to build something unless you're unless your simple desire is to to grow and spin it in a heartbeat. But if you truly want to grow and see something that's going to sustain itself uh, for a period of time, then you you really need to think about how do I how do I bring the rest of these skill sets to bear in order to ensure success over the long haul? So leadership is one of those terms that you hear people talk about it a lot, but it's difficult to grasp. It's, to me, it's very similar to like love, right? Uh, it's a critical skill to develop, especially growing your organization. So in your mental model, I love mental models, mm-hmm. as you know, uh, are there different stages of leadership? So that way um, people can grok you know, hey, I need to focus on this in this stage, focus on that in that stage, etc., etc. If you don't mind telling us from your experience and mental model what that is, that would be very useful. Yeah, and I think, so I think, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, it's not going to be terribly different where if you're a startup, you may have a handful of people or you may even be a sole entrepreneur initially. And, you know, I mean, it's all about you. You are everything. You know, you're learning the skills, you're mastering everything at you know literally the most tactical level possible in terms of making sure that you're keeping the lights on you know generating some some cash in order to get it going and you're sending out invoices when you finally have a product to and as you start to grow and to bring people to you the the challenge that many face is about understanding that you know i I need to make a choice here um uh, either else you know I, i may not I may need to reach a point where I'm going to be the chief technical officer rather than the CEO or because I just don't have those skill sets or the other the other reality is to take a look at it sometimes and say you know what I actually just don't get joy from doing that like mm. that's that's not that's not the element of growing and running this company that that brings me joy and so again how being able to look in the mirror and truly know yourself to the point that you can admit that to yourself at a certain point and then not only admit it but act on it 
is an extremely important um, sort of progression in the evolution of an entrepreneur in terms of how he or she are going to lead lead his company. Mm. I mean, in my instance, I started out as a wingman, as I mentioned. You know, and you, my all I needed to do was start the aircraft, keep my lead in sight, and basically release my weapons when when he told me to, mm. and then get them back in sight, follow them home, land, and go through the debrief and how did it go mm. and you know two years later three years later now I'm an expert at that I can anticipate rather than simply follow I'm a better team member for that reason and now I'm gonna start leading an, a wingman whose job is to keep me in sight it's a it's a very uh, sort of experiential learning model uh, in the fighter force in terms of how that how that progresses you there's no way you train somebody to be a mass attack lead, you know, after four years of school and drop him in or her in and nowadays and say, uh, go for it. Because <laughs> they'd fail miserably. Mm. And, you know, so to a degree, I'm suggesting it's not dissimilar in terms of building a company. You, you know, you can, you can do the schooling, you can have the brilliant idea for that technology, and you can, you can build it and prove it out. But then the knowledge that you lack in terms of surrounding yourself with people and perhaps even the self-awareness that you lack in terms of admitting that to yourself or the courage to admit that to yourself can be fatal in the journey that you hope to take that company on. Mm. You actually said something I think is really important to underline here. Does it actually bring you joy? Because it's not just about am I competent, am I skillful at doing something? That's an important thing in building a company, of course. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially young ones, they have this mindset of, I just want to get this company to quote unquote success so I can sell it so that I can have the money or whatever mm -hmm. to do something. Yeah. And, and I forget to actually to really enjoy the process. Does that actually bring you the joy? And also, does it actually, uh, does it, does it actually violate your own non-negotiables? And by non-negotiables, I mean, uh, for some people, maybe family, maybe spending time with their children, maybe spending time with their wife or, or husband, whichever. And they, and they just have this self-sacrificing mentality. Let me set all of that aside such that I can have this proxy money or whatever, success, Forbes magazine cover, whatever it may be. Then I'll come back to these things that's really, really important for me. So I think, at least from my mentality, doing things that aligns with the non-negotiables, I call them. Some people call them bumpers, right? Whatever it may be, these, these boundary <coughs> conditions that it actually fulfills you in the meantime on your journey to this goal that you have, this mission that you have. So I think it's really important to underline. Yeah. I mean, do you know what your non-negotiables are? You know, and I think, I mean, for all of us, you know, certainly you know, speaking the first person, you know, in the early days, I, you know, I, I don't know that I had any non-negotiables. You know, it, it's an exciting environment. It's uh, you're working with super type A people who you trust your life to, who entrust you with their lives. The the teamship and everything is all consuming. And so, you know, I think by nature, you know, we talked about freedom earlier a little bit. I mean, I, that sake of adventure, yeah, I can say probably for, you know. I, I mean, it's you often hear that catchphrase about you know find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Right. And follow you know, your bliss. It's it was true for me. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, and it 
And I think that's where it comes from too, is finding your joy in terms of, so what is it about my company that's going to allow me to find this joy? And it may be the technology initially as you've developed this and you want to see it really succeed and, and grow forward. And then, you know, as I said earlier, it just depends on what, what, so what gives you the most joy? Is it actually at a certain point, you know, moving away from being the absolute technical expert, you know, still understanding everything about the technology, as I did as a wing commander, I could still climb in the aircraft, I could fly every mission that we ever flew, but I mean, that, you know, that level of sort of tactical execution was no longer where I was meant to be. And so, you know, as the entrepreneur, as you've mastered the technology, perhaps even invented the technology and taken it forward, you know, at a certain point, then what is your aim and how, how clear are you on that? Are you, mm. you know, are you going to grow away from being the gentleman or the lady who's actually moving ones and zeros around? Or are you going to be the individual that actually infuses your organization with this culture, with, you know, the, the quality of leadership that is going to actually grow it and sustain it over the long haul? Because again, if, you know, I suggest the culture would be very different if you've got people coming in with a sort of a purely capital motive that says we're going <clears> to, <throat> pardon me, you know, we're going to grow this thing, we're going to pop this thing, we're all going to be rich, and then we'll live, mm -hmm. uh, the mistake that you're making is that this is your life, mm -hmm. you know, the, and if that sale never happens, or mm -hmm. if some other technology trumps you along the way, there's perhaps a big chunk of your life that's just been expended. Mm, quote, unquote, wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Easted. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I've come at it, and it, it's interesting because as I made the transition over to the corporate world, um, you know, I, I did have the luxury of never having to worry about the bottom line, you know. Uh, and it's obviously, it, <clears throat> it creates a different reality for me, but at the same time, you know, I had to take men and women into places and they were extremely austere and keep them motivated. And so, the difference in that environment is that, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, if you've got somebody who's extremely vital to your operation, you just say, well, how much does it take to keep you here? I, I, I'm not, you know, I perhaps don't even really care about your heart and mind. I, just, I need your, you know, your mind in terms of your loyalty and your commitment. I just need your mind so that you can work the next layer of that spreadsheet and keep things happening. <clears throat> and at the, you know, either, either to keep you here or at the back end of this journey, there's going to be a big fat paycheck. You know, in, in my instance, I had no ability to influence what people were compensated or how they were compensated. The only tool that I could wield was the art of leadership mm. and their knowledge and absolute understanding that I loved them. And cared mm. deeply. Mm about their well-being you know and <clears throat> some of them obviously reached points where you know I had it happen and, you know and I you know as a military leader I can remember being so infuriated when you know I'd have some of my most skilled pilots come in and say Jenny I love you but uh, and I've never had more fun in my life and I know I'll never find a role or a job that's as rewarding as this but uh, I can't take my family to Disney for a week because you know the military pay scales don't compare to anything like you know, and, and phoning the headquarters folks and kind of saying, look, it, I'm about to lose a pilot here who's who we have invested probably more than 
15 million dollars in training and, and experience in for the sake of ten thousand dollars a year like you know cut me a check and right. the answer would be no like we sorry we don't do that mm. and and so i think the, the lesson that i'm trying to mention here is that as i transitioned to the corporate world i i came at it from a viewpoint of leadership that says you know absolutely i believe in a bottom line and i know that it's got to be nurtured that said I paid much less attention to the bottom line than I did to the people. Mm. You know, and I'm not saying the bottom line will look after itself, but if you look after the people, if you create an understanding and a loyalty and you demonstrate that loyalty and that commitment to them, then then my belief, and I've seen it proven out and borne out in numerous instances, is that you will earn their respect and their loyalty and they will go with you through the thick and the thin because they, they believe in you and they care about you uh, in ways that they know and feel that you care about them. Absolutely. I mean, even research have shown that you know, traditionally people think extrinsic motivators like money, like recognition, actually probably that's not recognition, like a title, mm -hmm. right? These are extrinsic motivators are enough to keep talented people around but ultimately it's the intrinsic motivators it's that loyalty is that I feel amazing working with Jim yeah. or whoever that ultimately is is going to um, keep people uh, longer right um, that's where and also the secondary effect is that not only they'll work and put their heart and soul into this mission but also especially if you're doing creative work mm -hmm. that's going to fuel that for creative work for knowledge workers knowledge workers if you want to get more performance out of people it's not because of the extra ten thousand twenty thousand hundred thousand even i mean for people that work at facebook google these you know, you know it's, it's like a drop in the bucket like they don't i, I mean it's meaningful but it's not super meaningful yeah so i appreciate think, you saying that well so if you you know if you're if your key motivator is money anybody else can pay the same or more money mm -hmm. you know and so it's and undoubtedly we all need money to make the world go around and look after our families and you know achieve the goals that we wish to and so on but i again i'm just going to say my experience has been that it, it's a shallow motivator it's mm -hmm. not it's not going to create you know the type of allegiance the type of kinship the type of you know, a team that you're probably going to want to develop in order to truly sustain the business and to grow it forward. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so it's, uh, again, I've just seen too many instances where, you know, things take a downturn in your company and there's a new startup across the street and, mm -hmm. and they're paying money and, you know, your talents kind of fit the bill and, mm -hmm. you know, you may not even get a handshake out the door, mm -hmm. you know, from the individual that's leaving. and. Mm -hmm. See you guys later. It's very yeah. mercenary that way. Yeah, it's been a it's been a treat. You know, thanks mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Um, um, you know, whereas you know, I I never sought it, but the greatest joy in my life at times is when I see people that I had the privilege to lead. Mm. You know, fifteen or twenty years later, and they're saying, "Jimmy, those were the best times." You know, like no matter what, I knew you had my back, mm. and uh, you know, anywhere, anytime, I I'd do it again. Mm. And there's no greater mark of respect in my mind than you know, having had that quality of connection with people. And that doesn't, as I said earlier, you know what, you know, it doesn't mean that you're carrying them. As I said, 
you know, be firm, be fair, you know, treat, uh, <clears throat> be caring, and, you know, treat performance for what it is. If, you know, if, if someone's not performing, then, you know, in a, again, depending on your circumstances, I mean, you coach them into a performing type condition. If they're not, if they're still not performing after you've given them that quality of care, like, there should be no surprises when you finally walk up to that individual and say, look, this, I'm sorry, this is just not working out, and, uh, you know, I'm going to help you make a transition mm. and uh, and be fair in in cutting that cord and making that transition. And those who are still in the office after that gentleman or that lady has been uh, respectfully, you know, ushered out, are going to know that that it's not a it's not a fear of performance that's been engendered. It's it's a knowledge that you know, sure, I'm expected to perform that I'm going to be coached, I'm going to be provided the resources, uh, you know, it's it's fair. And if we get to that point where I just can't cut the grade, then then I actually want to go mm-hmm. because I'm letting my teammates down. I'm letting, I'm failing to achieve the mission. I don't, you know, I shouldn't want to hang around just for the sake of the paycheck because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not doing myself great service in terms of achieving my potential. There's got to be another spot where I can grow and learn and be honored for the strengths that I bring to the table rather than just, you know, being ignored and shunned because I'm still here, even though I'm not making a full contribution. Mm. Tactically, is there a specific way that you can let people go with grace, with dignity? And I asked that question, let me underline that a little bit, because HR reasons or uh, litigation reasons, a lot of startups actually don't want to focus on the light, um, hey, certain people leave. So they just kind of quietly let those people go. And uh, one thing that I comes to mind, one quote that comes to mind is people are not gonna remember what you say or what you do, but they will remember how you make them feel yes. forever and ever. And in doing that, you know, I, being at the receiving end of that myself, it doesn't make me feel good, right? To basically um, being let go that way, right? So I'm curious to know, tactically, is there a specific recommendation that you have for founders, entrepreneurs, to really allow people to let them go with dignity and grace, and that they get like, hey, it's not working out, but good luck to you. <clears throat> so I guess my first response to that would be to say, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of things in the lead up to it. I mean, there should never be any surprises. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the individual should know that it's perhaps trending in this direction. Mm-hmm. And again, you're not, you know, hopefully you're not working at it from a fear-based viewpoint that says, mm-hmm. look at if you don't, if you don't hack the grade, you're out of here. It's like, yeah. no, it's, you're not hacking the grade and help me understand why, you know, mm-hmm. is it, is it a training issue? Is it a resource issue? Is it a, is it a desire-based issue on your part? Like, mm-hmm. are you, do you really want to be here? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and. And again, I'm you know I'm not so naive as to say there aren't circumstances that just require, you know, some decisions to be made promptly right. in order to move on. But right. you know, in a ideally, you know, that's that's the sort of circumstance that's that's going to see people treated better. <clears throat> Many people sort of are surprised when I relay the fact that in the military there is no HR. Mm-hmm. And so I ran an organization of over 4,000 people eventually, and there's no HR. There's, there's you as a leader, and you know you're, you're the individual who is 
looking after their training and their development and their feedback you know constructive feedback and the performance management issues and so on and so you know i think again a lot of times in startups my experience would be that you know there's there's really no such thing as performance management i mean you know you either do it or you don't and when you don't i blame you and perhaps uh you know some sharp words are exchanged and you bloody well better get it right the next time and mm. and so you know that's that again is not a and it's partly the you know so organizationally it it's a fault and it's going to cost you tremendously mm-hmm. now i don't necessarily fault that entrepreneur leader because he or she may have never actually had an experience where performance management was done skillfully themselves and so they're simply uh you know repeating the circumstances that they've experienced and mm-hmm. yeah keep know, doing what what's what's been working for them Well, and it didn't work for them. You know, in your own instance, you you've said it didn't work for me. And so, you know, then the question is, okay, well, you know, if I ever get into a position like that, am I going to do it better? Mm. You know, am, am I actually going to learn something about it? And in this instance, you know, like in in my instance again, the practices were long-standing, they were there, and that all works. And in the corporate sector, okay, so maybe you do need HR and somebody that's skilled in that area, but again it's like bring those skills to the table so that you know it can happen mm. take an active part in it yourself as the ceo leader so that you you know that the system is fair mm. stand up in front of people and explain you know the system and the approach and your values as a leader as an organization like you know, define the culture and the expectations that you want to see present within the organization mm. and don't be shy about doing that and that's often the challenge for you know as we talked a little bit about the you know the introverted entrepreneurs that are technical experts and yet mm. you know what's a value i mean that's some kind of abstract concept that you know i've never spent time talking about or really thinking about like you know give me another spreadsheet Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's about gaining confidence to get in front of people and to know yourself well enough and be able to say this is this these are the values that I want to be present within the organization and you know what I'm going to demonstrate them first and perhaps, you know, ideally more strongly than anybody that I expect them from. Mm. And not only do I want to hold myself to that standard, but I give you permission to raise that observation to me if it appears that I'm not honoring those values. So by having those kinds of conversations and setting those expectations not only of others but of giving them the permission to hold those expectations of you and to challenge around it is going to truly help create an open uh trusting culture that says it it really is okay. Mm. And be cautious because the first time somebody ever does demonstrate the courage to challenge you if you chomp on them mm-hmm. that's the last time they ever will anybody ever will. Mm. So when you meet entrepreneurs that people that you coach do you have more of a again I'm going to go back to tactics or a framework because it's this concept of leadership is hard to grok right It's grasp. So Are there a roadmap, a framework or mental model as a visual for them to like hey here's where I could start? Do you show them that or is it super customized based on the situation and you just give them very customized answers? You um, know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean I I tend to work from a customized standpoint personally mm-hmm. because 
you know, I've been privileged, fortunate to be in a, you know, just in, in a, quite a range of businesses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it, it may not help the folks that are looking for the template, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, I guess I would say if I talk about the assessments that I go through, it, mm -hmm. it's first about sitting down with the individual and really getting, you know, a, a deep understanding between the he or she and I around, so where are you on the self-awareness scale? Mm -hmm. Like how, what's your level of courage in terms of even stepping up to what you consider to be your own strengths and weaknesses? Mm. How adept are you at, uh, you know, implementing that, wielding those skills in the organization? You know, what's most pressing at this point in time? Is it, you know, is it literally that you're under fire, so to speak, and you simply need to, to execute and there may be some casualties, but, you know, the whole business is never even going to get off the ground if I can't, if I can't execute. And, and so, you know, what are, what are the exact circumstances of the business? What's the nature of the individual? And then putting in practice, you know, a lot of dialogue with the, with, with the CEO and then potentially with the executive team, you start taking a look at it in terms of saying, well, you know, what's, what's the state of dialogue within the team? You know, how deep are there trust issues on the team? How clear are the values? How clear are the performance expectations? You know, the goals that are to be achieved? Uh, how free and open is the, the nature of the dialogue that we can have? Like, do we all agree what the problem is? Um, do we have a common understanding about how to solve the problem? And, you know, and a, a level of commitment across the team around how we're going to solve that. And, mm -hmm. and is, are there, are there decent or, you know, are there any after action processes in place so that you can examine that last iteration of, uh, of execution to determine, you know, what, what were the issues and how do we, you know, how do we methodically go about executing better on the next round? Uh, and as you, you know, again, as you go to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage, you know, as a CEO, is it, am I, you know, where am I at? Am I, am I needing HR? Am I needing, you know, investment advice? Am I needing, you know, how do I f begin to flush out the organization at, at the right time in order to build more structure around the execution and the marketing functions in order to, in order to carry it forward. Mm. So, you know, it's a kind of a great big long, it depends, but you know, it's, it depends. And yeah. I think if you, if you try and walk in with some kind of a cookie cutter approach that is going to fit every single individual and every single entrepreneurship, you're, I, I would probably not even offer that individual a coffee. Let's put it that way <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and say, look, <clears throat> you know, I'm not interested in a template. I'm interested in mm -hmm. and learning and growing and understanding that, you know, you've seen a range of, of circumstances and that you've helped that CEO learn and grow and create success mm -hmm. in those, in a range of circumstances. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I guess I asked a rhetorical question because I, <laughs> I kind of know the answer, but, but, but I, I wanted to hear your point of view on this because for a lot of entrepreneurs, here's the thing. What most people would tell me is we need more funding or we need to improve our product services uh, in, uh, such that we get more revenue, right? This is, these are like typical, okay, but let's actually talk about it a little bit more. Why do you, and then why do you feel a need? Why is there always a threat? Yeah. Why do you feel like you're on the fire all the time? 
because from my point of view, you can't be a high performer. You can't operate on a high level if you're feeling that your safety is threatened at all times. Just, just not. You're not gonna sleep well. You're not gonna eat well. You're not gonna exercise well. You're not gonna interact with people well. You're just gonna be more irritable. It's just a lot of costs to be. Yes, you may be able to uh, get a little bit more performance out of yourself and or out of your people, but you can do that a couple of times. If you do that all the time, no one wants to work with you anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, again, you know, you may find people that are sprinters if you're looking at a short flip mm -hmm. and i worked with one oil and gas company in in calgary and her you know probably seven or eight hundred million dollars in market cap uh privately held and you know the ceo had built and sold a couple of small oil and gas companies and this was an, another new venture and largely the team came with them and that's something that often happens too you know if you get good at the flip, you may, you know, you get a bit of a team and they're going to come with you. And so get into this next instance and then all of a sudden uh, the circumstances change slightly and something that was supposed to be a two or a three year journey turns into something that's going to take 10. It's or never going to be. There's, there's just no predictability, right? Yeah. And, uh, and suddenly the skills that were needed from that CEO and that team to actually hang together over 10 years were, were completely different than. Because it's man, I can't sprint for ten years. You know, <laughs> I can sprint for one or two, but the the family consequences, the health consequences, the I mean, all the rest of those consequences are just too high. If you think that you're going to sustain that pace for even two or three years is a an astronomical length of time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think you're going to do it for ten, uh, you will be so. You know, I, I'm fluent in French, so I say "épuisé." You know, you're just spent. You are, you know, like there's you are an empty shell at the end of that. And not only you, but you, you know, you've probably lost half those team members along the way because they didn't sign up for a marathon. They're sprinters, and and so I, you know, perhaps while you're sprinting, at times you need to keep in mind that it could turn into a marathon, and you actually need to keep some reserve. You need to. And, you know, and one of the biggest pieces of advice that I would offer, you know, and I, so when I first was promoted and took over the first squadron that I led as a, as the commander, about 380 people, you know, I had this, I had this impression, I mean, I'd seen and worked with lots of really fine leaders. I had them, you know, I'd stand at the microphone that first day in front of the parade, you know, and I had this incredible pressure I imposed upon myself to be profound. Like I'm the leader, you know. I, I must be profound. I'm, I'm, I'm the CEO. I, I must know it all, mm. you know. And what I learned very quickly was that no, I mean, I just need to be myself, you know. Mm. And that's, that's what the men and women that you'll work with or who you will employ most want to see. Mm. They just want to know who you are. They want to know whether you're trustworthy or not, and they'll figure out in a heartbeat or two whether you're pretending. Mm. And if you're pretending. Then we're right back to where we were a while ago, where the best I can offer you is a paycheck and maybe, you know, some kind of shallow employment for a period of time. But if they know you and they truly come to believe in you and understand that you believe and care about them equally, then they're going to be around. And uh, so that whole aspect of authenticity, of you know, trustworthiness, trustworthiness, mm -hmm. and you know, in the put a bit of a plug-in, I'm not affiliated with them any longer, there are several models, but 
In the U.S., I think there's an organization called Vistage, or in Canada, it's called Tech, T-E-C, the Executive Committee. And so, you know, CEOs, it's a very lonely place. I mean, you, you know, how much can you confide in your executive team? You know, I mean, all they're, they're, it's a lonely place, and I've, I've been there, and I know it. And that's why engaging, engaging a coach or finding some form of structure that you can go to where you'll meet your peers as CEOs and be able to share, you know, your fears and your struggles and your pains and your plans and to have them form, you know, call it an advisory board or something of that nature, but find some place to go or find yourself a coach because if you try and go it alone, uh, it's an extremely lonely place and it doesn't need to be. Mm. Yeah, I think the tendency for people, especially men more specifically, um, is I must know everything, I need to come from a place of strength, and uh, there's really no one that I can talk to, because what's the point? Because either I solve it, I figure it out, or I don't. By telling others about what I'm dealing with, you know, it's not going to get me closer to the effect that I'm looking for. Yeah, but I, I would disagree strongly with that premise because I think, you know, imagine for a moment that for a modest investment, you could increase the probability of your success by 60 or 70 percent. Why would you not choose to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're truly impassioned and realize, as many entrepreneurs do, that, you know, I've got, I got personal loans against my house, I've got, I'm all in, you mm -hmm. know, and so... Uh, I think that's a mistake that many make also is, you know, I, like I just need to go this alone. And, you know, that $20,000 or that $10,000 or whatever the number is for that coach or that organization, like I just, you know, I just, it's not on the books. And how does it look if I'm spending that money when I'm telling everybody at the, the executive table that we're capital constrained in terms of, you know, making anything happen? And again, I just say, you know, do your best to put that to rest because, you know, pick a number, call it 20K for the sake of argument, which is probably roughly what one of those offerings is worth, you know, compared to the total capital investment that you've got in the company, like it's peanuts compared mm -hmm. to the the probability of success. And I, you know, I had the privilege to lead one of those groups for several years, as well as being a, you know, member of a group. And I can, I can assure you that I've witnessed and been party to you know, companies that have grown and, and are now succeeding very well by virtue of the quality of conversations that they had in those rooms. Like where you can go and actually let down as a CEO because, like, I just don't know the answer to this one, you know. And these folks that are surrounded that, surrounding that table, you know, they, they, they're invested in your success. Like, not because not they're holding shares, but, like, in the same way you're invested in their success and giving them advice they're doing that for you and so I just think that's a gem that you know a lot of entrepreneurs should take a peek at and again whether it's coaching some lower order form or whether it's something like Vistage or other models um, as a as an entrepreneur growing you know we talked about the leadership journey and all of those things and so you know you need to continue to invest in yourself you need to look in the mirror and understand that there are areas there are gaps in your knowledge base and your experience base that are critical threats to your ability to succeed in business. And 
why my question would be you know if you sit in my seat for a moment and say you know you're a fully qualified f-18 pilot and i'm about to send you into battle and i say look at you know don't worry about the threats out there because you know like if you don't know about them you know just go in there blissfully and everything's going to be fine you know uh i don't think you'd follow me very far into battle if you thought that was the case and and i just offer that analogy and say it's in my mind it's it is no different to taking a look at how you want to grow your business you know and your personal weaknesses your personal mental gaps are threats to your success mm. and if you fail to have the courage to step into an environment and surround yourself with peers as CEOs who are in that same environment and, and to learn and benefit from that then uh, you know good luck because it sounds well it, you know really I mean to me it sounds like you're rolling the dice mm. more than you're truly invested in in being circumspect and learning in seeking out advice yeah one of the things I, I, I harp upon and then thank you for sharing that by the way I, I, I really want the listeners to get is there's such value mentally physically spiritually emotionally economically relationally financially to surround yourself with a wise group of counsel uh, peers, people who want the best for you, people with experience, people who are wise, people who can call you out on your bullshit. Yes. Because ultimately, we all have blind spots. I don't care how smart, how motivated, how hardworking you are, it, how gifted you are, how talented you are, it doesn't matter. You, if you, as long as you're a human being, there's no one that is omniscient yeah. <laughs> and has omnipresence, just impossible. So, such value in doing that. Is there anything else from your point of view um, is it that's like a pivotal investment, opportunities for growth to uncover one's blind spot? From your point of view. Now, there are books, resources, seminars, or whatever it may be, like critical things that if they are your son-in-law, let's say, or mm -hmm. daughter-in-law, let's say, and then they're doing this business thing, and they're growing, the company is doing well, what advice would you give them to say, hey, here's the number of venues that you should look into as a way to help you uncover your blind spot? Um, <clears throat> I, again, I don't think there's any single bullet, silver bullet, you know, it's, uh, you need to have an inquisitive mind. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, reinforcing what you just said, you need to absolutely understand that you don't know it all. And you don't, and it's actually, I think it's a greater weakness to pretend, to pretend that you, I think it's a greater weakness that you try and pretend that you know it all, than that you actually demonstrate the authenticity and courage to say, you know, I don't. And, you know, to go in search of, and, and so, you know, I mean, you're, you're going to find a number of venues, there's lots of offerings out there, sometimes there'll be hammering on your door and you get sick of them but you know it's <clears throat> be read you know read extensively any specific ones hold here? an open mind i mean i've always been a fan of the you know sandview executive summaries because i you know you can pound through a book in four or five pages you know and i mean there's lots of summary services of that nature you know they'll give you the 
you know the highlights of all the latest books and so on which uh, you know hold an open mind where is this all going you know <clears throat> um, search, you know, search out the coaches and I think more than anything uh, you know engage your friends in ways that invite them you know cultivate friendships that that uh, that are based on openness and, and respect and calling each other on on your bullshit because you know if it's if I'm not gonna do anything but put lipstick on you every time I see you I'm not really serving you very well you know if I think you're making a mistake you know the quality of the friendship and the quality of the dialogue should be one that says you know if anything you know our friendship should be strengthened because I care enough about you to actually call you on your BS rather than just to, to watch you step off the edge of that cliff and so I'm big on this concept called carefrontation which says look at I care enough about you to actually confront you on your bullshit and a loving challenge yeah it doesn't mean that I don't want to be your friend hopefully it you know it demonstrates that I have the courage and I care deeply enough about you to want to offer my my opinion and you know and so to come to that point I mean those books and those advisory boards and all the rest of those things I mean they're they're offering you nothing more than information mm. they're not deciding for you mm -hmm. but to make a decision based on a wealth of information rather than uh, the blind spots that we spoke of earlier is going to have you in a better place and I'm not suggesting for a moment that you constantly need to go in search of that other piece of data before you can make a decision because you, you need to make decisions Mm -hmm. But, you know... You can never have enough data to make that perfect decision. It's not possible either. There's no... I, I, I don't know that there's any perfect decision. You know, mm -hmm. and there's, there's lots of writings on how much is enough and, and so on and so forth. But, again, it's somewhat circumstantial in nature. But, you know, just uh, read a lot. Listen a lot. Look in the mirror a whole bunch. You know... And when you find that, you know, you can truly admit to yourself that I'm scared or there's some shit that I don't know, then, uh, then go talk to somebody about it. You know, engage someone with the proper level of confidentiality and, and circumspectness that you can truly talk about that and work through that. Because it may be, you know, it may be a technical issue or it may just be an issue of, you know that art of leadership that you know that you're breaking new ground every single time you you grow the company to the next stage and so this is new territory and you know being able to speak with someone about that you know uh, and to invest in yourself in that way is really crucial because I've seen too many instances where that incredibly talented entrepreneur actually becomes the boat anchor that limits the success of the corporation mm. and that's a tragedy because the the technology could be outstanding and you know it's it's the ego and the leadership that get in the way and if you're looking for you know some particular elevated multiple the odds of you getting it are pretty quite diminished mm. if you're not able to get out of your own way and figure out how to allow this to succeed mm. you know early days it's probably about you there's a lot of ego around and ownership around the technology and that's that's admirable if you can't progress beyond the fact that that at a certain point that technology can no longer be about you it needs to be about you know its growth and its implementation then uh, you're probably going to stumble mm. 
Let's wrap up a, well, with a couple of questions. So you had talked about the importance of finding the right counsel, coach. Can you give us some criteria of finding such a right person from your point of view? Or persons? <coughs> yeah. Um, so, per, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that, so persons I'm fine with, you know, I'm by no means am I making any kind of a plug here. I think you need to, you need to find somebody that's going to, you know, who you respect to begin with. You need to find somebody that's probably got a few scars because they've, uh, you know, they've been on both the upside and the downside of what's going on and they've survived and they've sustained their integrity throughout all of that. Integrity is huge. How do you evaluate? How do you evaluate integrity? Well, I mean, I think a resume can, you know, give you a certain element of it. You can you can look for references and, you know, those sorts of things, which I would hope everybody would do. But then, you know, ultimately you're going to sit down with that individual and determine whether there's a connection. Mm. You know, like, uh, hopefully it's, I'm never going to sit with you and lecture you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm going to ask you more questions than ever provide answers as a coach. You know, the... the I serve as an instrument of exploration to help you identify the things that you you need to know, and so that's uh, that's where you need to come from. Is you know, do you believe you can trust them? Is there a fit? Do you actually even feel that you can work with them? Do you have something to learn from the individual? Is there um, you know is is there are there a suite of references that speak to the leadership and the integrity and and so on so it you know it's going to depend a little bit on the nature of the fix that you're looking for is it is it on the leadership organizational growth path or is it on a technological growth path or you know there's any number of resources but again you know give real consideration to the type of individual or the type of organization be it a vistage or something of that nature that you're going to that you're going to step into because it'll it'll have a dramatic impact on on how you're going to succeed mm. thank you jim so much for sharing your wisdom sharing your experience especially from a very unique point of view the military background i think you share with us a lot i know that i keep trying to get the tactical right because i know my audience <clears throat> and uh, you also sharing between the lines i hope people who are listening to this really hear between the lines, the wisdom that Jim has shared from his rich um, experience in the military, in the corporate world, as a human being. So thank you so much. Um, if people are interested in following up with you, is there a website? Is there a social handle? What can they uh, follow up with you? I know you're also writing a book as well, if you can give us a sneak peek. Yeah, so a sneak peek. Uh, still playing a little bit with the title, but uh, the essence is going to be you know, the common thread. And the common thread is people. Uh, you know, through the success that I enjoyed in the military as a senior, senior commander, senior executive, and then moving into large multinational corporations and then working with entrepreneurs, you know, what I can say with my hand on my heart and complete conviction is that the, the common thread to success is always people and your ability to lead them and to earn their trust and their respect and, and the reciprocal of that. And so, uh, you know, I'm hoping to have it done here in Q1 of uh, next year. It's been been quite a journey writing it, and very enjoyable. And oh, uh, rooting for you. Yeah, and so you know, I do run a small consulting firm that uh, a boutique. I, what you see is what you get, or what you hear is what you get. And it's uh, Jim at HighFlightExec.com is the uh, 
is the uh, the email address and uh, or Jim Donahue at gmail.com and uh, you know even if you just want to grab a virtual coffee at some point I'd love to love to engage at any point thank you Jim really appreciate it my privilege thank you hey listeners if you're enjoying this podcast and all the nuggets of wisdoms go to bit.ly forward slash noble warrior review and leave us a five-star review and tell us what you're getting out of this podcast this will really help us attract other people like you and share these nuggets of wisdoms to others just like you okay do that right now bit.ly forward slash noble warrior review thanks a lot